Our scripture passage this evening is Psalm 62. Psalm 62. This can be found on page 608 in your pew Bibles. Before we read, let's ask for God's blessing. Dear Lord, we pray and seek your understanding, your illumination as we come before your word. We pray that we would see the, the truths of this psalm, that they would affect our lives, particularly as the content of the psalm shows that we would have confidence in you, even in the midst of a difficult and lamentable situation. We know that you do love us, and this psalm is proof of it. We pray that we would see it and draw near to you in praise. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 62. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him, like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? The only plan, they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless him with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress I shall not. Be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. I'm going to reread verses 11 and 12. They are our theme this evening. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. That power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. People of God, the word of the evening is confidence. Confidence. It's that quality, it's that attribute so many desire, and it's something that is so fleeting, so hard to find in the world today, true confidence. Confidence is a quality rarely seen in good form. Often it wavers between, in our experience, a false arrogance or a fractured self-esteem. It is difficult to find those who are truly confident. Employers know this all too well. They seek to find an employee who is confident enough to succeed, who will step forth confident enough to do their job well. And what you don't want, then, is one who falls off that, that line into an arrogance that they, they don't have any restraint and so get themselves into trouble. And on the other hand, you don't want a mousy employee who is unwilling to do the work, who, is, who has a low self-esteem, is unable to work. 
You desire someone who is, in that way, a truly confident person, and yet restrained. The stakes are that much higher in war. In war, the last thing you want is a a soldier who lacks confidence. Or even worse, a general or a leader who lacks that confidence. They become crippled by fear. They're unable to carry out their tasks. The The military tries to find those who possess this confidence, and they put them in leadership to lead squads, platoons, armies. These men become generals, and they do impressive feats. That's so important in a war to be confident. And make no mistake, that's exactly what we as Christians find ourselves in, a war. We are all soldiers of the cross. If we are soldiers of the cross, the last thing we want to be are those soldiers who possess no confidence. But confidence in what? I always think in these ways of you think of soldiers and generals and confidence. I always think of Stonewall Jackson, one of the characters in history that I revere and like to look at what he has said and what he stood for. I have used this quote before, but I like it, and so I'm going to use it again. We can recycle in, the, in, 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 the, in sermons and in life. Good quote should be reused. Jackson said about the way he would stand in battle with, with projectiles flying around him and gain that name Stonewall Jackson because of that, he said... My religious beliefs teach me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time of my death. I do not concern myself with that, but to be always ready whenever it may overtake me. That is the way all men should live, and all men would be equally brave. You see, the the opposite end of the coin of confidence is bravery. But what is it in? As this quote says, it's confidence in, a, in something, in a foundational belief. That's what allowed him to be confident even in war and battle. And that's the same for us as soldiers of the cross. What will give us confidence? Trusting, as verses 11 and 12 say, in the power of God and his steadfast love. As we're talking about confidence, would you describe yourself as a confident Christian? And what we don't mean by a confident Christian there is one who's arrogant or proud, one who's confident in God. Does does this describe you? That you would be he who possesses, he or she who possesses that confidence in God. Well, if we want godly confidence, and we should, we need to find it and know it in this truth, that power belongs to the God who shows steadfast love. And that might seem very simple. Power belongs to the God who shows steadfast love. But that truly sums up the source of all our confidence. You need both those elements. You need the power of God in which to be confident. If God was a powerless God, you'd have no reason to be confident. You would have no strength or bravery when your foundation is he who is weak. But because our our salvation is in the Lord who is all-powerful, well then, he possesses that power. We're thus able to have confidence. But you also need that second element the verse gives, the steadfast love of God. If he's all-powerful, we've said this before, this is very common phraseology, very common usage in Scripture, that if God was all-powerful but not all-loving, where would we be? But because he is both all-powerful and steadfastly loving to his people, we then have confidence. We're going to look at that as we go through this psalm. First, confidence in a lamentable situation. We see that in verses 1 through 4. As we begin, we need to see that just as David needed confidence, so do we. 
We cannot expect to proceed through life without a war and a battle, without bearing a cross. We are Christians and will bear a cross. It's an unavoidable truth. We will have our trials. We will have our lamentable situations. We will have our difficulties. It's not a question of if. It's a question of when, or it's just a question that happens. It's just going to happen. And how will we respond? We need to prepare ourselves. We need to cultivate ourselves so that we have a Christian confidence. The Christological emphasis of this psalm, the emphasis of this psalm that places it on Christ, is that this is how he displayed himself when he walked through his difficulties and lamentable situations. Just as David is able to pen these words so many years before Christ and to say that his help is in the Lord, to trust in him, to find his confidence and his salvation in God, so was Christ able to walk this earth and do the same. And so this psalm presents to us the very Christ-like way of response. And it presents to us as well that activity that we will portray that gives him glory. What better way to show glory to our Lord than that we are confident in him? And that's what we see. We see this in the lamentable situation that David finds himself. Though the circumstances of the psalm are somewhat unclear, we do get enough from what the psalmist says to recreate a bit of what's going on. You can see it in the psalm itself. David is under some kind of an attack, and it seems to have gone on for some time. Deception is the order of the day. We see that there are those who are deceiving, those who speak to him in one way, and yet behind his back say something else. And so there are lies going on, deceptions going on, and they seek to remove him, as we see in this psalm, from his high position. They seek to topple him. His enemies pretend to consult with him, but it's only a charade. They lie and curse to his, they lie and curse about him. They curse him behind his back. They curse him in the heart, their hearts. And so David must remind himself that their stations are but temporary, that their worth, that their weight in this situation is but a breath. That's where he finds his confidence, even in this lamentable situation. And that's how the psalm begins. We walk through it. You can see it in the first few verses. David says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. The first part of the line. Waiting in silence is perhaps the most difficult activity we can do. Standing at attention as soldiers. It's not inactivity. It's standing at the ready. It is very difficult. It's very difficult to stand before God when there is no immediate relief or sign of relief and to stand there alert and ready. But he says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. In the silence, then, we have understanding of a trust. He's not there pestering God. He stands awaiting his orders. He's the model soldier. He's been given his orders. He's standing there. He's at attention. He's ready, and he waits, and waits in silence, not questioning the will of God. And here's his confidence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. There's a sense in this psalm that David almost is walking against forces so far beyond him. It's almost like you walk outside your door at a storm and you say, you can't shake me. And that event itself would seem pretty pathetic. To walk outside and to tell forces that are beyond your control that you cannot be shaken, yeah, we would want to laugh at that man and say, what a fool. But as this psalm shows, his confidence was such that in a situation that he couldn't control, 
he says that he would not be greatly shaken. That's his confidence. The Hebrew word he, that's translated here as alone, for God alone my soul waits in silence, is used repeatedly in this psalm, and it lends a certain earnestness. It's just like our catechism in Lord's Day 1. What is your only comfort in life and death? The insertion of the word only implies there's nothing else. Everything is excluded, and it then provides this earnestness to the psalm. It's only in the Lord. It's only in him. Only in him do I find my salvation. Only in him is he my rock and fortress. Only in him I will not be greatly shaken. That's his confidence in Christ. The portrait that's presented of David is of a calm, confident reliance in the Lord, but it's, notice, not in David's ability, and this is key. It's not in David's own strength. It's in the Lord that he finds it. This psalm paints a beautiful picture of the attributes of God, of his strength and power, that he's the only source of salvation. He's a rock, a fortress that cannot be shaken. This takes cultivation on our part. I asked the question as we began, do you want to be a confident Christian? Do we want to be confident Christians? And of course, that answer is yes. Well, how? Well, we've got to cultivate it, and this psalm shows us the steps to do that. Just as a plant needs to be tended and watered, needs to have weeds pulled, it needs to be fertilized and pruned to grow well, so does our confidence in the Lord. We see the, the healthy recipe in this psalm for how to do that and to produce a strong faith. David talks to himself. David reminds himself of God. David places his trust there. You know what's amazing about the psalm? It's not a psalm of lament. It's not a psalm where David comes out and just brings his pain before God. Why is that? Why isn't it a psalm of lament? We like to legitimize our fears and our lack of confidence because of the situation. The situation is hard enough. We say, well, how could I have confidence in this situation? How could I have confidence in this trial? It is so great that I have lost my confidence. But why hasn't David... Because what he's cultivating is a gaze, an outward looking to God and to who God is. And because of that, he's cultivating a strong faith. It doesn't happen at once. You don't water a plant once and say, it's good, it's good to go. Fertilize it once and expect it to be strong and healthy. It's a constant placing of your gaze upon your Lord. It's a constant meditation of who God is. Without that consistent pruning of the wrong thoughts of God, pruning away the deceptions and lies, pruning away the temptations, without the pruning and the feeding and fertilizing, you will not have confidence, but David does. And so this isn't a psalm of lament. It's a psalm of royal confidence in God himself. And the reason it's so beautiful is to look at what's likely the psalmist's own description of himself in verse 3. Look at verse 3. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? This is likely David's own description of himself. 
So just like that man who like walks outside and yells at the storm, I won't be greatly shaken. Then he turns in verse 3 and says to his attackers, how long will you attack and batter a man like a leaning wall and a tottering fence? There's a possibility this could be referring to his, his enemies, that he's describing them as a leaning wall. I don't think that's the case. I think David is very clearly here referring to himself And so in the very breath where he says, I won't be greatly shaken by you, he says, I'm a leaning wall and a tottering fence. We've seen those. You see those those fences that are just leaning and the wood is rotten or the walls that seems if you were to push against it, if you're just to lean against it, it would just fall over and topple over. That's David's self-description of himself. And the reason that's so beautiful is because clearly his psalm of great confidence is not in his strength nor how he felt. That he felt that peace, that he felt strong, he certainly did not to describe himself as a fence ready to fall. How long will they batter this man? He's referring to himself likely in the third person there. How long will you attack a man to batter him? So he's, in one sense, ready to be pushed over, but when he speaks to himself of God, He conceives of himself in God and thus won't be shaken because God is what? His rock. David isn't just mixing metaphors. He isn't wrong in how he's presenting it. In himself, he feels weak. But in God, he's on a rock that can't be shaken. That's why it's encouraging. Why is it encouraging? You can feel like a tottering fence and yet be confident. In fact, in all likelihood, in a lamentable situation, you will not feel like a strong wall, but as one ready to fall. And that is completely disconnected from the confidence that David has. It isn't in him. You see, he's speaking to himself truth. The truth of the situation. And because the true situation is that he stands in God... What he feels like is the true situation, he knows is not. And so he can press on with a silent confidence bolstered by God himself. And he scoffs then at the vain attempts to topple him. That's the other amazing thing. So he describes himself as this man like a tottering fence, ready to fall. But then in the same psalm, he speaks of these ways as if, how long are you going to do this? Because you're going to fail, he says to his enemies. Though he may be like a tottering fence in himself because he's in God, they're doomed to fail, and David knows this. And so he almost scoffs at what they're doing. Their attacks will prove fruitless. That's a confident soldier. That's one standing in salvation in God, and that's what we are called to do as well, trusting in Christ who has come to know that we stand rooted in him. We're joined with him, and so all the attempts of the devil, all the attempts of enemies of the church, they're going to fail, they're going to fall. Even the situations in which we find ourselves will fail and fall. Because what's a better and stronger foundation than God? This is why we as Christians should be, of all people, the most humbly confident. Those words go together. Humble confidence? Aren't those kind of different terms? Don't they kind of contradict each other? I'd submit to you that the only true confidence that's of any worth is one that's humble. 
The only true power in this world doesn't rest in ourselves. And so it's a humble recognizing that the only source of all strength is God, and thus we grow confident, trusting in him. And this is how David does it in our second point. We see it, internal and external exhortation. Verses 5 through 8, internal and external exhortation. What is he doing? He speaks to himself. He speaks to himself. Verses 5 through 7 are basically a repetition of verses 1 and 2. But there's a progression, all right? If you read the first two verses, you see what's being said. Whereas in verse 2, he says, I shall not be greatly shaken. Look at verse 6 when he says, I shall not be shaken. So as he begins his confident plea and response to what he's going to, he began with, I won't be greatly shaken. And then there's a ramping up of what the psalm says. It's almost as if as he's talking to himself, he's gaining in confidence. His emotions are there, they're stirring, and where before he knew he wouldn't be greatly shaken, now, as he's thinking of God and who he is in him, he says, I shall not be shaken, and we could almost insert at all by the removal of the greatly shaken to just that statement. He's saying, I'm not going to be shaken at all. His confidence grows because he talks to himself, pointing at God. We all need to talk to ourselves. It's healthy to talk to yourself. We should. And if we don't do it, we need to do it more. But what do you speak to yourself? The Word of God. It's that cultivation metaphor. You're feeding yourself something. You're being fertilized with something, and it's God's Word, and it's a knowledge of who He is, and it's a building of your whole perception of earth, your whole perception of your life. It's building yourself on the rock that is Christ. And when you build yourself on the rock that is Christ, now the perception of reality is the truth. But you have to continue to remind yourself that. What if God left us? That's what we, that's what we tell ourselves. What, what, what if God's too weak? Well, what do you do? You do what David did. You, you respond and you say, no. You speak to yourself and say, that's wrong. That's not right. The Lord is with us who can be against us. What if the situation that I hate, this lamentable situation, continues and continues? Oh no, and what do we do? We, we amp ourselves up into further and further despair. What if it gets worse? What if this happens? And we, we keep saying, what if? And we go to the future, and we worry and worry. This is when you need to arrest yourself and your attention and to say and speak the words of God. No. Our God is a refuge and strength. We think at times that the first step in confidence is feeling it. That's not. This psalm shows what the first step in confidence is. When we feel like a tottering fence, we speak of the goodness of God, declaring that we won't even be moved, and then we gain confidence. Speaking the truth of God in our own hearts. You need to be your own best counselor. It's hard, but... Too often we're our own worst counselor. Too often we'll run in fear of whatever we're thinking. We'll try to avoid it, try to replace it. But you see in this psalm, David is counseling himself. In this hard situation, he speaks and counseling everything correctly and well according to God's word. He doesn't retreat in to focus on the problem. He doesn't hunker down with the situation. That's what we want to do. For whatever reason... 
We like to take that fear we have, we like to take that situation that's bothering us or presenting us, and we pull it, and we hunker down with it, and it takes all of our thoughts, all of our times, all of our emotions, it just sucks it in. And that's it's what we're, like, default responses. This is what, this is what I want to do. But we don't necessarily think of doing as what David does, speak to himself, finding confidence in the Lord. Confidence isn't being bothered. If confidence in a situation is not that you're not bothered by it. It's that you know how to speak to yourself and to place the truth of God before your eyes. And it's you know how to act without feeling it. You know how to trust when, again, you feel like the fence ready to fall. So he gives this internal exhortation. He exhorts himself. And then in verse 8, he proceeds to an external exhortation. He turns it, and now he directs it all to the peoples. He says to the people that they are to do the same, that they are to trust. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, Trust in him at all times, all people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. You see what his internal exhorting did to himself. So not only is he gaining in confidence, even in his current difficult situation, now he's turning and verbalizing it to all people, and he's saying, this has been true for me in my situation. I have found that in trusting the Lord, even in this difficulty, he is faithful. And so he turns and says, oh, peoples, trust in the Lord. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And he says, when to do it? At all times. At all times, in all situations, God will be our source of strength and our rock. So we see that lamentable situation he's in. We see him speak to himself to gain confidence, placing the truth of God before him. And now we see, thirdly, the basis for godly confidence in verses 9 to 12. Verse 9, as the SV translates it, says, Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. So what David does is he recircles back to the problem. He recircles back. These people are attacking me. And now, having spoken to himself, exhorted himself, trusted in the Lord, he again revisits it. And he says, Those of low estate are but a breath, and high estate are a delusion. This is a way of saying all humanity outside of God, conceived outside of God, is God is vanity. It's vain. Those seeking to tear him down, those who are lying to his face, those who are cursing him, those who want to tear him from his high position, their attacks amount to what? The psalm says a breath. Even David pits the problem that he faces against the weight of God. We see that in the references to the scales. Picture in your mind those scales to weigh something. You have those two arms, you have those two saucers hanging from the chains, and you put a weight on it, and one side goes down. If it's heavier, that's how you weigh. And to get to an equal weight, you would put the equal weight you wanted, and you would raise it to that size. Now you know it's balanced, this is the same weight. But the psalm describes those who come against David as going up. What does that mean? It's as if they're weighed in the scales against God and the scale drops like this because God is in control and they're raised up, they shoot up because what do they weigh? A breath. If we were to go home, boys and girls, you might not know what, what a scale is, but you may, a balance is, but you might know what a scale is. It's those things that your mom steps on and then hides you from and doesn't want you to step and see what it is, right? Fathers do that too, I'm don't want to pick on mothers. It's, you can't see that number, right? It's that, it's that device, that square we step on, and we weigh something. We weigh ourselves. 
If you were to go home and go to the bathroom and find that scale and take it out of the cabinet and, and either turn it on or if it's an old-time one, it's just the, the, the needle there. I want you not to step on it and just to breathe over it. Is anything going to happen? Breath is weightless. Now, the scientists out there saying that's not exactly true for all intents and purposes. Breath's weightless. It doesn't register on the scale. There's no weight to it. So what David has said, these attacks, this very difficult situation that has brought him to feel like a tottering fence, is in reality a weightless attack. In reality, there's nothing to it. In reality, these people will fail. The situation will fall away because God's in control. We could put it this way, when God is weighed in the scales next to any problem or any attack, the other one doesn't register. It's weightless. That's the basis of godly confidence. He describes them in verse 9, the nature of these humans as vanity, as futile. That's the key word of the book of Ecclesiastes, a puff of wind. So then do you see where his confidence is? Those who seek to topple him are but a puff of wind weighed in the balances with God. He then also exhorts, even mocks them, calls them out for what they're doing. They seek their power and riches. They seek to gain by robbery and theft and deception. Now this might seem disconnected from his situation, but to what do we place confidence? Who become the authoritative figures? Who are those likely who posed the threat to David? It would have been those who were powerful, those who had wealth, and those who had, from what he says here, gained it by wrong and sinful ways. And he calls what wealth is. Look at these last verses. It says in verse 10, Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. I want us to see this progression. You are trying to gain in in strength and authority through extortion or robbery, it will prove vain. And that's because, as we see at the end of this psalm, the Lord will render to a man according to his work. That's verse 12, the end of verse 12. And so those who seek to gain now will ultimately end up in a worse situation because they've done it deceptively and wrong. And God will judge all according to his work. And that's why David can even, in a sense, laugh at what they're doing because their attack against him is putting them further and further in a, in a pit, in a problem with God. But then he says at the end of verse 10, If riches increase, set not your heart on them. See, he's showing his confidence isn't in the riches of the world. That source that we so often put our, our strength in or our hope in, riches, influence, it's not there. Set not your heart on them. Were you to gain all the riches in the world, you'd prove as weightless as his enemies. It's God that matters. Or to put it in a positive way, we already have the Lord. We possess all riches. We don't need more. We don't need more to be confident. We don't need a different situation to have trust. Put no trust in these things. And then verses 11 and 12. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this. That's a, a, po a poetic device. 
He says that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. As we saw already, that is the source of his strength. It's in the God of power. It's in the God who loves, who will render to a man according to his work. That phrase there at the end means David fully expects to receive a proper rendering. And that's not wrong. David is is trusting the Lord. And so he knows at the end of the day, he knows when the grand reckoning comes, God will render according to the work, but he trusts that the Lord will give to his account what is owed, not because he's so great, but because he's placed his trust in the Lord. Because he's placed his trust in the Lord, he will receive all that blessing. That isn't meant at the end there to make him in doubt. It's not, for the Lord will render to man according to his work. I wonder what he's going to render to me. No. David is confident. He knows that what he will render to those who have sinned against God is justice, and what he will render to his people is blessing, reward. This is why we're confident. This is why we can trust in the Lord. It's so true. Yet as we leave, as we end this evening, I would also say this. Sometimes God's word hits us in a different place and position depending on what we're going through. And there may be those among us right now who are in a similar situation, a lamentable one, and it strikes us right now. But what I would say as we began, we bear our cross, it comes. Log this psalm away so that you can pursue confidence when the trial comes to you. Have it at the ready. That's another way to be confident before God, having his word at the ready, as as David clearly did. He knew what to tell himself. Let this psalm be what we know to tell ourselves when it happens. Let it be that, that knowledge of us, look, we've been warned, we know that pain comes. And when you know that pain comes when you're warned, you you can be ready for it. You won't be so shocked. You know, we we like to jump out and scare family members. You like to do that. You hide, you jump out, and they're frightened. Well, someone's warned of it. It's not scary. Now, I'm not claiming that just being warned of a trial removes the difficulty. That's not true. What I mean by that is that being warned of it puts us at the ready. And so when it does come, we know what to do to speak to ourselves of who God is, of his power, and his steadfast love. As we turn to Christ, our true source of strength in all things. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we turn to you in prayer, thinking of the confidence that you gave to your your humble servant, David, we pray as your humble servants to have the same confidence have the same confidence that isn't a a vain and proud arrogance in ourselves. That's not it. We ask instead for a humble confidence, a confidence that guides us, these tottering fences that we are, to the true rock and true source of strength, our Lord and Savior. We ask then that we would be ready for the trials, and those of us who are in the trials now would be encouraged because of who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name.